Hello and welcome to Red Shirts. I'm Jake Donaldson and I'm joined as ever by my co-hosts Maddie Porthos the Dog Church House and Nathan Porthos the Big Fat Musketeer Thomas. What? It, uh, but, no! Without further ado, let's engage. <laughs> Yeah, no, I've given like Nathan the better one the this week. Yeah, I like Porthos the Musketeer. He's great. Yeah. And, you're, so and he's in, fun. And in BBC Musketeers, he's played by Howard Charles, and he's brilliant, and I love him. <laughs> so I, I want to be I want to be Porthos the human. No, I, I thought we'd been so mean to Nathan in the last one when I called him hentai thighs. <laughs> I should make him the cool sword fighting guy. And also I, th- I thought that that was sort of in keeping with the theme of this week's episode, which is yeah. Cupid from uh, season four of uh, The Next Generation. I, it is, and you're absolutely right, but I just want to interrupt to uh, uh, bring you a Russian fact. Oh, right. Uh, <laughs> is this a new Which feature? is to say uh, there is a really famous Three Musketeers uh uh, from the Soviet era of Russian filmmaking. What? And it and it's really good. It's a musical as well. <laughs> and and they they sing. They have the Musketeers have a little like song that they <gasps> sing at, at the end of every part. And if you Google it, you'll find like amazing. the pictures of the very sexy men who play uh, all the Musketeers, <laughs> okay. uh, including including Fat Porthos because he is. Huge. What, what do I Google? I'm going to do this. I've just Googled uh, Russian Soviet, Three Musketeers. Soviet Musketeers, and it's immediately shown me some some men with good hair wearing fancy blue halberds or whatever you call them. Yeah, look, that's that's the right one. They look oh, wow. great, but I'd just like to put it out there that the BBC Musketeers features Tom Burke and um and uh oh shit, what's his name? Who plays also plays Rios on Picard, like just wearing leather, just constantly. Um, it also yeah. features Peter Capaldi as an incredibly machinating um, cardinal. It's just the best telly ever, and I'm so devastated that they cancelled it. So yeah, if you want sexy musketeers, you should watch BBC Musketeers starring Luke Pasqualino. It's the, good. Uh, there, there are it's three just, sequels so... made to the Russian Musketeers <gasps> show. Oh. It's massively popular. <laughs> the guy that plays D'Artagnan... Um, when I was in Russia at New Year's Eve, it was like his birthday or someone, <laughs> something, and they made that a national televised event because it's like a super, like oh, he's just played God. the starring role in every Soviet musical ever. Amazing, and, and he's like very famous for just always wearing hats and stuff. And <laughs> he's famous for wearing mostly hats. what so this, mostly like what Lady this, Gaga. mostly what this birthday thing consisted of was. What people I am told are famous Russian people <laughs> singing to this now quite elderly man songs that he used to be able to sing. <laughs> like remember a... when you remember when your voice had this level of baritone. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, he did then sing the famous song from the Three Musketeers. That's like D'Artagnan solo, and like he can't. It, it's not the same as when he was a young man singing in the film, but it's like pretty good. Like he's obviously not like out of practice. Yeah. he's just older. Yeah, it's like when I went to see Iggy Pop live, and it, it, he, <laughs> it's not the same as watching the Stooges in the seventies. But you know, it's still Iggy Pop, even though he does sell car insurance and is an. Absolute you know, Iggy twat. Pop shows up in uh, Deep Space Nine as a uh, what? I don't take What? <laughs> when is Iggy Pop uh, in Star Trek? Uh, Iggy Pop DS9. Just Google that, and you will see. The, Sorry, no, you... I'm not. I'm not googling that because I'm still busy googling Santiago Cabrera <laughs> wearing his musketeer's hat and looking ridiculously sexy. Sorry, that'll yeah. have to wait till Go- later. Google Iggy Pop DS9. Oh my god, um, yes, I found yeah. it. Iggy Pop. The episode he's in is about him playing a villain of the Dominion who gets taken out by a gag of Ferengi. <laughs> that and then the Ferengi, the Ferengi are trying to do a prisoner exchange. So, having shot him, they have to use Star Trek technology to remotely pilot his body. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. It is, 
It is a deeply embarrassing moment for Iggy Pop, but Iggy Pop is great throughout it and entirely is in that role because the director liked him. But that <laughs> is not the episode of Star Trek we're discussing today yeah, to get well, us back on track. Well done, Nathan. Yeah, we're Moore. discussing uh, we're discussing BBC Musketeers, right? That can we do an episode? <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> we it's are a good t- episode this week, so I will not allow us to be derailed. We are talking about Cupid, uh, spelt. The letter Q and then the word PID um, from season four of The Next Generation. How do you spell words? You can't just like spell words by doing this like, oh, uh, yeah, I host this podcast with Nathan. That's N and then (laughs) Yeah, no, but I thought it was relevant. That's how it is spelt, though, Nathan. It is just spelt Q-PID. Yeah, which like, but that's Q P I D. Like, it's oh. not. Yeah. Oh right, yeah, fine. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, you can't just. It's like saying my name's Jake, spelled Jake. Uh, <laughs> yeah. The, uh, I mean, uh, for, before we get into uh, Nathan Thomas describes uh. the plot of Cupid, I would just like to point out that uh, Cupid is uh, it's obviously a pun on the fact that this episode stars uh, our favourite. Uh, cosmological trickster Q um, but it's obviously a pun on the word Cupid but when I first saw it I didn't realise that that was the pun and I thought it was a pun on the word stupid and that is <laughs> how awful my brain is uh, at puns oh, <laughs> Nathan man. would you like to go and describe the plot for us in your patented style I absolutely would so uh, we start this episode with Troy and Picard discussing his archaeology speech for a conference which is due to be held on the Enterprise, and we drop some plot ex- exposition. Picard is rather nervous about being an amateur in front of these academics, uh, and um, they discuss the ruins that Picard will be discussing have been completely barred off to outsiders. Um, Picard has a number of interesting theories, but he is rather worried. Um Soon we cut to Picard's quarters, where he notices some of the things from his holiday in Riser are out of order, and Vash, his old flame, is inside, promptly offers him a full-on snog, and um, Picard's not one to turn down a lady, so during the title sequence, they absolutely bank. <laughs> a bang. Fuck. Um, after they absolutely the... bank. <laughs> yeah, it's all merchant banking all the way down. Um, anyway... After the credits roll, maybe that's kinky roleplay in Star Trek, because they don't have money. You are, like, yeah. They, they, like, the, rather than, like, butler, and, or, like, maid and uh, lord, or, like, teacher and student, it's, like, banker <laughs> and, <laughs> and mortgage advisor. <laughs> anyway. Mortgage advisor and millennial who can't get on the property ladder. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. It's like uh, that, that thing where like rich people roll around on a bed covered in piles of money. <laughs> <laughs> like that, that's like a genuine anyway, experience in Star Trek. Anyway, and I can't I hate this, but that was funny enough that I'm gonna have to keep it in now, so I can't just cut out my mistake. <laughs> no. Um Uh anyway, after the credits roll, um apparently Bash is on the archaeology council now in a sort of more or less way. Um, she is definitely tomb robbing. Like the card, <laughs> you should know this from her past experience and her massive evasiveness at this question. At this point, Doctor Crusher comes in, and Picard has a very distinct oh crap face as uh, he realises he already made plans. And the two ladies begin to bond, but it uh, turns out that uh, Picard has never mentioned Vash to anyone. <laughs> Bash goes to 10 forward, Riker tries flirting and Picard has pre-warned her and apparently does an impression of Riker and Riker continues the tour when Crusher is called away. Bash is introduced to all the crew and Worf is worried about security which is probably a good thing to worry about because again she is a thief and she just <laughs> sits brazenly in the command chair. Uh, Bash and Troy talk at the reception the next day and Learns the captain is a very private man. Picard refuses to tell anyone about Vash, and she expresses her annoyance that the captain is embarrassed by her presence. Picard, in a bad mood, goes to his ready room, and his mood is immediately improved by the arrival of Q. (laughs) Oh, I'm sorry, he's not pleased at all. He tells Q to get out of his chair. At their last encounter, Q um, was helped by Picard quite considerably. I mean, you know. He prevented him dying. Um, uh, and Q wants to repay the debt. 
He owes him. He keeps offering ways of helping the dull, pedantic, and plodding speech, and Picard resists. Uh, he won't travel back in time. He won't violate the law uh, of the alien civilization. Um, Q leaves in a huff. Picard summons Riker and reports the crew is here, and he wants to do something nice for Picard. Riker alerts the crew immediately and increases security. <laughs> a completely warranted reaction from everything we've ever seen of Q. Um, Picard goes to Vash in an attempt to smooth things over and uh, finds a map of the uh, Tagus ruins and learns that Vash definitely wants to rob her too. Unsurprisingly, <laughs> that's her job. That's the thing she does. She is, she is the 24th century Lara Croft. Um... <laughs> She uh, laments her history of lying, and Picard finds equipment <laughs> to help rob her tomb uh, and threatens to confiscate it. Meanwhile, Q bothers Picard in bed and realizes <laughs> that Picard is having lady issues. He promptly climbs on the bed and continues the conversation. Picard leaves the bed and gets further irritated, wandering through the room, denying Q's arguments about his vulnerabilities. We cut to Picard beginning his speech. And he is very swiftly beginning to get distracted as various strange objects appear on the crew, including monks' robes, meat, loots, and medieval costume. And soon, Picard is teleported to Sherwood Forest. He is clearly irritated, but not nearly as irritated as Worf, who is not a merry man. (laughs) (laughs) Um, uh, At that point, a man arrives on horseback and threatens Robin Hood. Uh, Worf decides to work out a few anger issues by attacking him, <laughs> um, and the uh, horseback man's men also attack. Worf has to be ordered to retreat from this conflict. Q appears as the Sheriff of Nottingham and says the crew will return to the ship in 48 hours, but uh, Maid Marian is to be killed, and Robin Hood has to go rescue her. Vash, meanwhile, is not happy with her position at all and starts shouting at people and things in annoyance. <laughs> Vash immediately begins to flirt with Sir Guy upon learning she might be executed. Back in the forest, Geordie is playing his loot until Wolf smashes it. <laughs> Troy's firing arrows and misses hitting Data. Um, <laughs> Picard says that he won't allow the crew to come along. This isn't a mission, it's a personal matter. Sir Guy announces, meanwhile, that Marion has agreed to be his wife and Q seems confused and annoyed. Q tries to convince the guy that Marion is evil and horrible and trouble. Vash goes back to her quarters while Picard is climbing into her tower. Picard is well aware of the situation and Vash realises that Picard is Robin Hood and promptly tries to rescue Vash. Vash protests because she thinks this is a stupid plan. What kind of plan is it not to bring your entire well-trained crew along? Um, As the sheriff's men break in, uh, Picard tries to fight, but Vash manages to draw his blade on him. Um... Q sees Robin Hood being escorted out and relishes Marion's betrayal. Vash, however, has another plan. She's writing a letter for the Merry Men, instructing her maid to take it away. Q comes in, finds the letter, and outs her betrayal. There will be a double execution, which we cut to the day of with Picard and Vash still arguing about who had the better plan, and uh, Q and Sir Guy pigging out. As uh, Picard and Q argue and Picard offers to surrender himself, uh, and let Vash go, we begin to realise the presence of the crew. Riker orders a diversion, and Data flows a flammable component into a fire, creating a flash. Soon we have some classic sword fighting action. Picard engages with a duel with Sir Guy, uh, who is the finest swordsman in Nottingham. Unfortunately, Picard is not from Nottingham. <laughs> he stabs him, rescues Vash, and demands that Q ends the game. Eventually, Q does. Back in the ready room, Vash cannot be found... Uh, until she teleports in. Turns out Q and Vash have uh, struck up something of a partnership. Picard is not happy about this, but uh, Picard and Cash, uh, Vash kiss goodbye, and Q takes Vash away with him. And so ends the episode. <sighs> I sense you don't like this episode, Maddie. This episode is so fucking dumb. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but I think it's good. I think this is good Star Trek stuff. Yeah, I really uh, like this episode. I just think like uh, I don't think it ages well. I think there are several like elements that you're like, ooh. Um, but yeah, I mean, but I, I, for me, it's the level of s- stupid that uh, I, I can appreciate because I think it's well made stupid. I'm like, 
Why have they is gone it, to Sherwood Forest? Is it though? Because like at least with <laughs> Sub Rosa, there was a strong concept there underneath the levels of incompetent bullshit. Um, but this week, I'm like, if I got drunk and decided to write <laughs> TNG fan fiction on the spot, this is <laughs> I would. This is the episode that I would immediately be able to write. Like it would just pour out of me, and like it's just it's like a hideous mishmash between Tony Robinson's Maid Marion and her Merry Men and like <laughs> Q doing a strikingly good resemblance of Alan Rickman in Prince of Thieves starring Kevin Costner crossed with ser- <laughs> crossed with that episode of Supernatural where the angel Gabriel just makes them go into loads of different TV shows because like that's that's the main thing I took away from this episode is that Q is just the intergalactic version of the angel Gabriel from everyone's least favorite gay homophobic tv show supernatural rest in pieces good riddance so like but but that just it wasn't entertaining like i love robin hood and i and i like relentlessly consume robin hood related content and i consistently love it because it's just massively meaningful to me it's a big part of my childhood it's an iconic you know cultural storyline and a touchstone Especially since, you know, I'm from Derbyshire, but like, this was just not entertaining. <laughs> it's just not an entertaining version of Robin Hood. The, the, okay, there are two bits in this episode that are entertaining. One is when Wolf rips off his hat and is like, Captain, I am not a merry man. <laughs> and the second bit being when Wolf smashes Geordie's loot against the tree, which I did I actually, think it may I be worth, like, for every, every time. It's a bit of a running joke with Worf and Q's shenanigans, because Q is... The whole deal with Q is he's testing humanity, and the crew of the Enterprise are supposed to be the Federation and humanity's boldest explorers. They're exemplars, right? So Q decides to mess with them on that basis. Is he he messing with humanity, or is he just negging Picard? Really, though, you never, <laughs> you can never tell how much Q is just messing with Picard he's, and how much he's, he's just talking. <laughs> like Picard. the whole episode, this whole episode's plotline comes off as Q uh, being the jealous boyfriend. And yeah, they yeah. lead into the homoerotic <laughs> subtext in other episodes. There's one episode where like Picard wakes up, rolls over, and, and the introduction to Q is just Q there being like. Good morning, darling. <laughs> and and Picard immediately covers himself up and is like, Q, what do you want? I think uh, Q's uh, definitely into Picard. Like, that's that's not for question. Like, he's very, very interested. I don't know if it's like a sexual a few... interest, but he's like very obsessed with Picard. That's should clear. we watch a few TNG Q episodes? Like, I don't know if we want to do next, because I don't think this is yeah. a very typical Q episode to get, like, what he's about. But I think it's a pretty, like... I mean, I think it's a good episode, unlike Maddie. But what I was going to say is there's this running joke with Worf <laughs> and Q where Q does, like, some outlandish bullshit uh, and Worf reacts very stoically, very irritated. Like, so he at one point, like, makes himself appear on the view screen and taunts them and Worf instinctively draws his phaser yeah. and Picard goes, Lieutenant, do you intend to shoot a hole in the view screen? <laughs> 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 and then there's another one where, um, like, uh, he like he he summons he's celebrating, so he summons two scantily clad ladies that start feeling up Riker, and Riker goes, "I don't need your fantasy women." And uh, Q like flicks his finger, and they appear next to Worf, and Worf is just like, mm. <laughs> 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 "I'm very happy with this." Aww. And he looks really irritated when P- Picard orders Q to like get rid of it all. <laughs> Oh dear, yeah. But, but... Q, Q Q pops up in a few other series as well. He pops up in DS Nine and in Voyager. Um, and yeah, where Cisco in... punches him. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> he's also in an episode of Lower Decks as well, which is quite cool. Um, he's got... see. Oh, I haven't. I really need to get around to watching Lower Deck and Voyager. He's a big part of Voyager. There's a whole plotline in Voyager with him in. So he's. I and John DeLacy is great. Like John DeLacy plays that part so well in every time you see him. Yeah. And if you haven't seen it, um, uh, like Maddie, I think you'll need to watch a few more Q episodes to really appreciate this. But there is a old convention thing called Q versus Spock, mm. where yes. John DeLacy and uh, Leonard Nimoy uh, stood up in character and read this like 
debate between each other to see how like Spock and Q would play off each other. Oh, nice. And it is one of the funniest things I've ever seen. Just like <laughs> it starts with Spock um, being like people of Earth in the two thousands. I am from the future, and Q then just interrupts, goes, boring! (laughs) Excuse me, I have to issue a dial warning. It's like, we both know it'll be fine. (laughs) And it's like, so good. Yeah, his widow's peak really was something. Like, that's that's my main (laughs) takeaway from Q. One, gay for Picard literally says that he would have appeared as, as a woman if he'd known that that was what Picard would really have been into in this episode. And then two ridiculous widow's peak like truly legendary <laughs> well, Q, I, i've written one of my notes is ju- just says q is a discount bill murray <laughs> oh my god it's so true he really looks like bill murray what's going um, on f- fun fact for you all um john delacy's middle name is sherwood uh like sherwood Ooh. forest where they go in this episode <laughs> I thought that was a fun little link. Shall we? Shall we go back to the start before we get into the Q uh, segment of, of the episode and talk about the the opening when um, when Vash comes back? Because uh, obviously Vash was introduced in the episode, uh, I think Captain's Holiday, a few seasons earlier, um, and this is her returning. Um, and then there's that weird scene when him and so Vash and Picard are. are interrupted by Bev Crusher and then there's this weird sort of like sexual yeah. energy way you're like I, yeah, I, one of my notes just says Picard is a player but like I couldn't <laughs> tell what was going on there because like Bev definitely comes in like to have you know like a private chat with Picard and it's like oh another woman here and then she's kind of like really nicey nicey to Vash and and it came across really strangely. I couldn't tell if it was supposed to be well, this sort of I catty think... two face thing, or if she was just genuinely really curious, no, like, I "Well, was... Picard, like, who's I, I this?" Think, I think, and I, it was only made clear to me when I was doing a bit of research that what's supposed to happen is that coffee is the morning after Vash and Picard have slept together. Oh yeah. So yeah. so like Definitely. Bev comes in and is just like, "Oh, there is another woman," and. I know, oh, the captain must have slept with that lady. But I, I think it's not meant to be catty. Okay. I don't think that. She just came across weirdly. For. I don't know if I, I mean, I want to. There is, there is some sexism I have to talk about um, that I found out about in my research. Oh, okay. um, Go ahead. So, um, you know, you know how they have sword fighting in this. Yeah. Episode. Oh God! Oh, don't even, don't even come right. at me with the. Just, just wait, so just wait, Maddie. It, it will make you more. Uh, so. In character, I think it makes sense for at least Worf and Picard to do sword fighting because Picard is seen fencing and Worf wields a back left mm-hmm. and teaches a class. Yeah. And then they have all the other male characters do it as well. And I'm just like, hey, I can suspend my disbelief enough to see them fight this, right? Yeah. Like, if they're not going to only have the people who are realistically good with a sword do it, then whatever. But of the actors... Uh, the actresses playing um, Crusher and Troy had the only training in any kind of sword fo- combat I'm and stage sh- choreography I'm for sword co- face. choreography, <laughs> and they were the two people not allowed to do it. I mean, it's and that so is a jarring. Fucking ridiculous decision. When did this episode air? Like when? What? What? Nineteen ninety-seven. 1990 and they weren't allowing women to sort the women had to smash pots while all the men got to f- fight i mean what the hell it's like honestly it was, I was yeah like, april 22nd 1991 like that 91. is piss poor that yeah. is absolutely piss poor come on yeah Ugh. it doesn't come up much and and they do an all right i think because of I think they do an alright job with Vash because she clearly doesn't want to be rescued or fuck around. Oh, like, she's good. She's good in this episode. She is. Like, she's clearly and she's a terrible good in, person, her, but she's in the good. episode prior to this where she's introduced, um, where the captain kind of like goes on mm. holiday, um, where she's introduced as someone who is sort of a match for and can keep up with Picard in a very like very genuine way. I, I really like that episode as well. Um, she's a bit of a. Um, she comes across like a bit of a. Uh oh, darn it! Her name's fallen out of my head. What's the you know the Sherlock Holmes's sort of female antagonist? 
Oh, uh, Irene, Irene, Adler. Irene Adler. Yeah, she comes across as a bit of an Irene Adler in the way that she's like clearly yeah. a terrible person. She just goes, she's like Lord Elgin, just goes around stealing the marbles from like, you know, <laughs> civilizations that are desperately trying to protect their heritage and culture and then selling them on to humans. Um, but like, she's very sneaky and manipulative. And I did, I did think it was really fun. And I really enjoyed how obviously she's cast in the role of Maid Marian and then completely subverts everything and ruins the plan by just being like, yeah, well, what if I played along with it? And just like, you know, seduce Guy of Gisborne in order to escape myself. <laughs> I thought that was really funny. And uh, yeah, so it, that just makes it seem all the more jarring that Bev and Troy weren't allowed to do sword fighting. I'm like, clearly there was someone in the writer's room being like, aha, well, you know, like we've got to put a little bit of a feminist twist on the damsel in distress. And then they just didn't allow the women to have swords. Maybe it was yeah. like when NASA ran out of spacesuits that were like small enough for women. Maybe they only had three swords okay. and they're like, well, they're really long, so women can't carry them. But the, th the thing is, they've all got swords by their sides. You can see them carrying swords throughout the rest what? of the episode. Yeah. Yeah. So what? why, why don't they swords? use them? What? They have oh, swords, they God. just don't use them. It's ridiculous. Everything about this episode is shit. I know. I mean, no. for, just while we're talking about the sword fighting, as we've talked about previously on the podcast, I uh, have some experience in uh, in fencing, and uh, I did. Uh, I competed fence in fencing for like fifteen years of my life, um, and have done a bit of stage choreography for fighting and stuff Damn. like that. And okay. the 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 sword <laughs> sure. fighting in this is actually pretty good. Like nice. uh, the it's choreo it's choreographed quite well. Um, there are sort of bits that are a little bit unbelievable but like in general it's like genuinely good and compelling uh, compelling combat sequences like it's forgotten that it's star trek like yeah where we don't where we don't script our combat uh, scenes with any kind of skill at all right, yeah Jay, exactly since you're yeah. a fencing master can you please well, explain far, to but... me, therefore, the scene where Worf attacks Guy of Gisborne, Guy of Gisborne sat on a horse, Worf runs towards him with his sword over his head, and yes. then when Picard is like, no, merry men, run into the forest, Worf pauses with his sword in the air, turns, there's a five-second gap in which Guy of Gisborne <laughs> could have beheaded him, doesn't, and then Worf just slowly jogs away. Right, as a choreography master, explain what the fuck was going on. <laughs> well, that is quite poor. Um, <laughs> the um, Yeah, I mean, th that that scene in itself is a little bit silly, but I think it's, it's supposed to be, barmy. isn't it? Like, oh, it's so the, the, stupid. The, look, um, this is, right, Prince of Thieves, starring Kevin Costner <laughs> and Alan Rickman, came out in yes. 1991, right? Yeah, Which, same again, makes this. it all the more strange that like Q actually bears quite a strong resemblance to Alan Rickman in that film. I don't know how they did that, but that was a nice touch. Um, so, Prince of Thieves is dreadful. Everything about <laughs> it is horrendous. It was also the biggest box office success of 1991 and Alan Rickman run a, won a BAFTA because despite the fact that it's batshit and it's also terrible, everything about it is hilarious and entertaining. This episode of TNG is basically the same as Prince of Thieves, except it's fucking and boring deliberate. and shit. No, <laughs> it is. So, interestingly, uh, Ira Stephen Bear, who was the showrunner at this point, had proposed this episode being set in Camelot. He, he wanted mm. this idea. The, the original idea for the episode is get Vash back. Yeah. Q tests how Picard loves and Q's usual mode of testing people is to put them in these kind of strange, almost out of genre situations. So there's another episode where um, they're put into like a historical war, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but uh, Riker is given the powers of Q and the test is, will he resist using them mm -hmm. to save people under his command? Yeah, like, you know, it's a great episode. If you can e it's a really good episode. And there's, there's lots of stuff like that. Um, uh, but he wanted to do Camelot. They could have had Merlin, Michael... they could have had dragons, it could yeah, have been yeah, even yeah, yeah. more hammy. Instead, we just got but a... Then, but then uh, Prince of Thieves was coming out and Robin Hood's popularity skyrocketed. <laughs> so they were like, oh, we've got to set it in like Sherwood Forest and do it oh, based on that. Okay, that's but interesting. But they don't even have anything like... If they were really going to go full Prince of Thieves, then like... At then Q should have been rushing around with his cloak billowing behind him, being like, I'm going to cut out Loxley's heart with a spoon. <laughs> and then Guy gives one being like, well, why a spoon, my lord? Because it's blunt, you idiot. It'll hurt more. 
and other such <laughs> iconic lines that we love Alan Rickman for. But like, they didn't have any. I'm sorry, this is bad Robin Hood. Bad Robin Hood content, right? This is down there well, with 2011 Russian Crow good shit Star show. Trek content. It's not well, good Star Trek content. No, like I enjoyed the. It's, I enjoyed it's the episode. That you, it's interesting that you've come this hard on that side of the argument, Maddie, because one of my notes says this is the best version of any Robin Hood content I've ever seen. What? Let oh, I'm just going to sit on. back and watch you two fight for the rest come of the episode. On. That's excellent. Surely I, ge- I genuinely love it. I've seen... Uh, my favourite version of Robin Hood, right, is um, the BBC BBC version Robin Hood, starring that, Jonas Armstrong uh, and with Jonas Richard Armstrong Armitage. And Richard Armitage. Oh. And, uh, so, well, that's good for the first two series, and then it gets stupid. Oh, yes. Okay, well, we don't talk about it. series three. Look, okay, it all went downhill <laughs> after Gisborne killed Marion. Let's just like yeah that was bad yeah but I, I, that's really good right i genuinely think that this is better than any of those episodes oh piss right. off absolutely piss <laughs> off like come on i'm sorry but when i was 10 i was so in love with richard armitage right he could have shat in a bucket in one of them episodes and i would still have thought that it was amazing but that bbc robin hood when you go back and watch it is actually genuinely entertaining like it's it's so stupid and it's so cheesy but like it's fun and it's dramatic and there's action yeah. and adventure and like and women so get this. to fight with swords unlike this episode of tng yeah okay look i don't like the the sexism element of it but as as an episode of star trek i i mean i'm a sucker for an episode of star trek where they get put into a an out of genre I situation thought I was gonna like, like it as well i genuinely thought i was gonna love this because i love robin hood and i was really let down <laughs> oh that's such a shame because i really loved it and i thought it was like a really it's it's i think it, it's and on the out of genre thing i think tng does that better than any other star trek in general yeah like definitely i mean the, the... The, the, because of the whole because they introduced the idea of the holodeck and they just happily play like i I really remember a, a thing that really sticks out in an otherwise pretty shit episode is the episode where Barkley gets holodeck addiction <laughs> and he's he's playing out this like three musketeer fantasy garden world like a complete fantasy of his own making but where all the senior officers are totally bested by him in various ways and he has this massive crush on Councillor Troy. And so first he sees, um, the first thing uh, they see is a squat, like a Riker who is like a dwarf, <laughs> uh, like with a sword, come and challenge and, and, and like be all intimidating, but like very little man syndrome And Troy says, well, you are quite tall. It could be, it could be intimidating. And Riker is like, Discontinue and Troy's like, no, we sh- we shouldn't do that. We need to explore this man's psychosis so that we can try help him. And then she sees the image of her, which is the goddess of sensuality, <laughs> and she goes, uh, and Troy goes, discontinue image of of, of Troy, and Riker goes. Belay that order, and then Riker and Geordie slide up to her and go, hmm, I think it's very interesting. Yes, we should keep up. We should, we should keep this image just to study study the thing and, and like. It's so good because you can tell all the actors are having fun. Like even Troy, as because obviously it's the same actor playing the like goddess of thing. It's like you can tell everyone there is enjoying themselves. And there are so many good bits like that, and I think that's where the "I'm not a merry man" comes from. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I mean, the, the I mean, yeah, you've got things like the Dixon Hill episodes and the. Uh, yeah, sh- the Sherlock Holmes one. I'm really and... worried now that there's that's that one where they're like in Hornblower or something, isn't it? And I love Hornblower, so now I'm really worried. That's, that's the also gonna that's, be that's in Generations. That's how um, Worf gets his promotion. He has to jump to get the yes, uh, Lieutenant Commander Cap. Speaking of data, can we talk about my favourite scene in oh, this episode right where talk. where she he gets shot in the chest with an arrow. <laughs> Uh, the, your aim is improving, Kevs. <laughs> okay, the, so that was strange to me, right? Like that—that that seems like an almost direct reference to, like, Maid Marian and her Merry Men, where Robin is like completely incompetent and constantly firing arrows at people accidentally. Like, <laughs> yeah. Well, like I, I, the comedy, uh, like the direction of that. Um, of that scene is really, uh, I, I think the, the comedy timing of it is excellent. Like the way that you see the shot being fired from. Uh, like a, a POV of data almost and then it shows you a tree with no arrow in it and then the 
the screen just pans to the left and you see Data stood there with an arrow sticking out of his chest, just looking Aww. completely like nonchalant about the whole thing. Oh, bless him. Him with his little monk's tonsure as well. That really yeah. got me. He looks so adorable. I thought that was brilliant. And that- <laughs> yeah, like they all looked great in their Merry Men get up. So I had really high hopes, but then it was just very lacklustre. And and they didn't do. There wasn't a lot of. They had like one scene where Worf kind of fights Guy of Gisborne, and then Picard is like, "Run, run from the arrows into the trees!" And they all slowly walk away from the arrows. And it's like, guys, like have a bit of enthusiasm. Yeah. That's all think, they really do <coughs> until. I think the problem. I think the problem with this episode is something I only noticed on rewatching because I am familiar with Q and Vash. Is because it's got to be a TV show that episode that kind of stands on its own, at least to some extent. The first half is, like, mm-hmm. taken up with all of this. Q is here. Like, like it's, it's a quarter of the episode, at least, before Q shows up, and he's the main villain's anti- the main yeah. antagonist. Mm. But there's all this setting up with the Archaeology Council and setting up with Vash and stuff, and then you get to the Robin Hood stuff, and then you still have a fair bit of denouncement in the at the end. So the actual Robin Hoodness of this Robin Hood Star Trek episode is very minimal. Mm. I think it doesn't get uh, developed again enough. to go into my alternative world where I'm in. I'm the director and writing pr- room. I would suggest that this should be a two parter. I Correct. think what you want is basically most of this episode up to. Um, Q saying that line he delivers where he's like, of course, if you uh, don't act, there will be consequences. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, and it'll be like, oh my god, Picard's got to rescue Bash. Dun, dun, dun. And then part two, yeah. we can have a full Sher- like Sherwood Forest adventure time. Yeah. We don't have to rush through all of these. Like, because it always weirds me out how it's just like Picard's first rescue attempt is just you hear a grappling hook. Picard <laughs> comes into the thing and he's like, yes, I know everything. And then it's like, oh, Picard immediately failed. Like, if you did this as a two-part episode, you could see Picard, like, sneaking around and coming and doing stuff and um, Vash, like, flirting with the guy of Gisgaborn and trying to be... Like, I just think the problem, and I think perhaps this is why you don't like it, Maddie, yeah. the problem this episode has is it has a few too many elements to just be dealt with in one 45 minute episode I completely agree like none of it's developed enough they give they turn Geordie into Alan Adele they turn Worf into Will Scarlet I'm like there's so much you could do here there could have been like you know while we're cutting back and forth to like Vash in the castle trying to flirt with Guy Gisborne we should be cutting back to like Worf and Geordie like hiding in a bush trying to ambush a carriage of gold as it comes through the forest and things (laughs) you know we should be like getting development of instead of just standing in a glade and not really doing anything and then the only person in the episode who actually has a character arc being Picard we actually I want to see the crew if they're going to be the merry men I want to see them be the merry men I don't just want them to stand around waiting for Picard like that was just really disappointing I think yeah okay, I actually I, I... really I really liked the scenes with Picard and Q leading up to that I thought they had a good dynamic I thought Q was funny I thought it was interesting to see what he was going to do I liked Picard's frilly pajamas but then <laughs> so so I completely agree Nathan I, I they that went on for way too long to then essentially smush the entire story of Robin Hood into the last half an hour 20 minutes even like that just didn't work at all yeah I, I do I do know what you mean and I think this is an issue across a lot of uh, TNG where they have a lot I think they get carried away with having big ideas because they've suddenly got the budget and the uh, idea of technology uh, access to, to sort of editing technology and stuff that they think oh we can do exciting things episodes that are really good in TNG it's <clears> like if you think about TNG's best villains, mm. and, and this thought has literally just come to me, it's the slow menacing villains, right? Like, the Romulans are scheming and conniving evil types. Like, And they're be- the best episodes where the Romulans are the bad guys are one where they're enacting intricate plots like kidnapping Riker and yeah. making this recreation to try to get access to some information. Um, and the... Uh, and the Borg are obviously like a very zombie-like, very slow-moving, unstoppable force. And the and the 
Um, best of both, uh, not best of both worlds. The 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 two parter that has Picard get assimilated. Yeah, yeah. Um, mm. That one. That's like that is the big special effects action sequence you get in TNG, and it looks shit by today's standards. I'm not <laughs> yeah. gonna, I'm not even going to argue it doesn't, but. What happens in those fights is a long, protracted series of engagements where you see the Enterprise like getting pounded and pounded and being repaired and fighting and pounded and, and so on. And it's this big, like, elaborate siege, basically. TNG is at its best when it is living with the fact it is a slower-paced series. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, it, yeah. it, it's, it's the Star Trek series where we see fucking concerts every two episodes, and <laughs> some of the drama is around, like, you know, someone having slightly sexual feelings for once, or, you yeah. know, I mean, the, the main or- plot of this episode, the, yeah, or a cat, the, the main plot of this episode is, or, or the B-plot, essentially, is can Picard do a good speech? Which is, yeah. you know, it's not it's not exciting, is about it? About a tomb. It, about, it's not even about something. Yeah, it's not even about anything Ooh. exciting and spacey. It's about whether or not... Archaeology. Archaeology's a good idea, right? The, it is a bit... I agree with you that they it's a bit protracted and they, they, they could have... They could have gotten a lot of the exposition out of the way in the first 10 minutes and then had yeah. half an hour, 40 minutes of cool Robin Hood sequences where Absolutely. you get to see more of the Merry Men and maybe have a bit like have a B plot about um, like try, the the dilemma of having to save Vash as well as be stealing from the rich and giving to the poor and all that kind of thing. Yeah, like, and also- there could have been something interesting about that, but they haven't. They've they've they put in a load of boring exposition shots at the start where it's just Picard having a conversation with somebody about something that takes longer than it needs to. Um, and then there's this whole, this whole sequence when he's giving the, the speech at the start, when Q first uh, starts like making, yeah. When he starts making hats appear on them and like yeah. t- t- dresses them up in costumes and stuff. Like, why do you have to have that whole sequence in there? It's a bit dull and doesn't really make sense. Why wouldn't Q just immediately transport everybody into the situation where, like, you know, it, it, I just thought that was a little bit, it, it was just here's, poor direction, I think. Here's what I think you do, as well as if, as well as just doing the two-parter like Nathan suggested, which would just allow for the time to develop the characters. Instead of introducing Vash at the beginning of, of the episode, which really confused me, by the way, because I was like, I thought this was going to be a Q episode. You introduce Q and the dilemma at the beginning of the episode. Everyone's transported into Robin Hoodland within the first five minutes. And then all of the scenes between Picard and Vash, which are actually were actually like the interesting part of the episode where there's like actual character development happening you know where where Vash is meeting the character the other crew and finding out that they don't know about her and she and Picard are having this romantic conflict that can all happen already in Sherwood Forest there's yeah, no reason true. why that episode if it's you know a two-parter for example couldn't have then ended with Guy of Gisborne kidnapping Marion from the middle of Sherwood Forest where she and Picard and the crew have all been trying to get along and build like a kind of Robin Hood style like like band of outlaws that and that would have allowed you to have the development between Q and Picard and Q and Vash but then actually also develop the world and get the entertainment factor from Robin Hood at the same time instead of cramming yeah. all it all in at the end. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that would have been a much better way of doing it. Um, I mean, I understand that the, there were probably budgetary constraints with the costume and filming locations and stuff like that, where yeah. that, that maybe might have been it's an issue. It's just a but... forest! Let's not, sorry, no. <laughs> yeah, but, no, but location filming is a lot more expensive and harder because of licensing, estate laws, and the fact oh. that you have to do way more takes because it's way harder to control the environment. Yeah, and, like, and ensure... On location it, filming is a lot more expensive, even though you wouldn't think it was, because... Uh, assuming you're not building a new set, that is, I'm and also, my ideas with facts, honestly, yeah, and also like <laughs> in, insurance things, and uh, with because there's a sword fight and an action sequence, there's the, oh. you've got to pay for stunt doubles and things like that. It, it, it's difficult, but you know, this is Star Trek. Four seasons into a popular show, they they have the budget to do yeah. big, if they expi- had the budget, expensive, fancy things. If they had enough of a budget to send a camera crew all the way up to Anik Bloody Castle to get that one exterior shot of Anik Castle to pretend that it's Nottingham Castle, 
then they've got enough money to put them in a tiny forest at the back of someone's garden for a day so that they can film them being the merry men. Like, I don't see... I, I don't accept that that actually would have been too difficult. I think they just wrote the episode badly. Yeah, okay. Um, can we talk about uh, Picard's nighty? <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's so because, and his hairy feminine. chest. It's so it went, flowing yeah. and silky. <laughs> he, he, look, he looks like he's in Logan's Run, right? Like, <laughs> it, he's got this weird sort of like tiny little tunic kind of thing on that with like a V-neck that goes down to his chest and you can see his carpet hair chest. Ooh, and, yeah. it, it, and then it, it's, it's literally, it's tied at the middle like a lady's nightgown, like a, like, yeah. a, like a 1930s evening gown. And I've just Googled Picard's nighty and it immediately came up. <laughs> it's like... It's it's simultaneously both sexy and the least sexy thing that I've ever seen. Yeah, right. How is it both <laughs> at the same Picard, time? Though. That is Picard. That is Picard. Yeah, in a sexy and also he's, not sexy. He's, yeah, he's like handsome, he's but then like, really unsexy at the same time. Like I don't understand. Yeah, amazing. It's like oh yeah, sexy V neck, hmm, flowing, and then it's just like yeah, and also some shorts, and just like <laughs> just like a bit grim, really. <laughs> So strange. Can you imagine waking up in bed next to Picard? I just, my, no, I'm well, this, not feeling it. This is I'm my. It's nighty and being like, this is the man that I've lain with. <laughs> I'm not feeling it. Well, I'm this, not feeling it at all. This is my head canon for, for this episode, right? It's that um, the production team spent so much on the costumes for the Robin Hood section of the episode that what a felt hat they like, <laughs> looked at a picture of Errol Flynn and were like oh cut that out of felt <laughs> no but this is staple it to Worf's head but this is my theory that they spent they spent so much money on the costumes for, for that section that yeah. uh, the reason Picard's nighty is so small is because that's the <laughs> that's, only, that's the only they amount of fabric. Uh, fabric that they could afford to buy anymore. So, <laughs> <laughs> I love that. That's so great. And why? I'm sorry, but what is this obsession with putting, like, this is the same as like Keiko's horrible pale pink silk sparkly wedding dress, but it's not silk. It's like you know some cheap fast plastic version that just looks really awful why is why does everyone else in the gang get to have like really cool like you know men in tight style little felt dicky hats um and then and then vash has to wear like a pale pink glittery like what and then a headband (laughs) <laughs> like, like, come on, try harder. At least put her in one of those cool sort of nun-style headscarves that, like, medieval ladies used to wear, where it would like cover everything except their face. Like that would that yeah. could have been that would have been hilarious like if a, like, like that's a wimple. what she was wearing. Yeah, a wimple. Yeah, put her in a wimple, and it would be <laughs> absolutely fucking hilarious. That's where you get. That, yeah, that that's it. That's it, listeners of Red Shirts. I want you to get. I want you to get hashtag put her in a wimple trending on Twitter. <laughs> But Why have they put her in this ugly pink sparkly dress yeah. when they could have put her in a wimple? Look, I, I know it, it was 1991, right? But there are some interesting costume decisions made in this episode, the, the, just in general. Um, I would like to point out that at the end, when they when he comes back from being uh, in Nottingham and they're back on the ship, um, and Picard turns up in his uh, in his. No, no, no. But like at first, he's in the the costume. He's in the uh, the the. I was going to say Peter Pan, but <laughs> he's in the Robin, Robin Hood. Hood. Uh, Robin he's in his Errol Flynn Robin Hood costume, right? And then uh, and then like it does like a a, a transition phase thing, uh, and then he stood there in his dress uniform, uh, and it's supposed to be like, oh yeah, you're back to normal. You're back to looking statesman like and all that kind of thing. He looks much better as. <laughs> As, as Robin Hood than he does in the dress uniform because the dress uniform is fucking awful. Right? Yes, agreed. Yeah, I, I weigh like the, my favorite dress uniforms in Star Trek are universally terrible until the TNG films where they have those white. Yeah, they're cool. Look. Can, I would just like to point out something, right? Which is earlier today, I was listening to another podcast, uh, the Socially Distant Sports Bar podcast, which you should listen to, listeners, if you like that kind of thing. Um, but they were having a conversation. There's three of them having a conversation about like whatever they had talking about, and they were they had a thing about how which was the 
sexiest or best looking football kit from like the history of the Welsh football team and they were like oh this is really good and this one what about this one from the 86 cup or this one from the so and so and right and it felt like a a very sort of kind of lads down the pub type conversation right and I was like oh we we could probably do something like that on our podcast and our equivalent is what's the sexiest dress uniform for, <laughs> for, for Star Trek captains throughout the Star Trek universe? Oh. And it, it, even though it's pretty much exactly the same conversation that they were having on the Socially Distant Sports Bar podcast, it somehow seems a lot less cool and a lot less like <laughs> manly and cool. Look, <laughs> you know? Is your masculinity being threatened by this podcast? Is that what you're saying? My mas- yes. Because that would sound like a bad feminist thing. No, look, right. I'm, a, I'm, not a bad fe- I'm not a bad feminist, but can we please talk about the scene in this episode where uh, where Worf says of Bash, nice legs for a human. <laughs> <laughs> That's actually really... Like, yeah, I let him get away with that because it was obviously like a human Klingon pun. But yeah. like, if it had come from like Riker, I wouldn't have been impressed. There's some so, solid like, uh, war- There's some solid Worf content in this episode. I would say this yeah, is a Worf-strong episode and that actually Worf is probably the highlight of this episode for me. Closely followed by the fact that Geordi is dressed like he's ready for the disco. Yeah. Like, you know, like every other one of the Merry Men... Like, obviously, for some reason, Worf is in, like, red leather, because apparently that's what Will Scarlet wears. But then, like, every other every other member of the gang is just dressed like, you know, standard Errol Flynn, except for Geordie, who for some reason is wearing these, like, jester-style, like, <laughs> <laughs> jester-style um, rhombus kind of yellow and purple and orange, like, very 70s sort of, like puffy jacket thing oh what yeah what do you even call those that that like style of medieval like that i know what you mean yeah like it's got this sort of diamond it's got that diamond pattern on it that sort of like yeah diamonds that's the word i was looking for when i said (laughs) 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 yeah he's like covered in like he's covered in like multicolored diamonds and it's looking really really groovy <laughs> i love that i love that outfit i think i think he should have kept it and i'm so sad that wolf smashed his loot i think we were, we were robbed yes i mean uh, we we should start to wind this up uh, shortly um i do have a, an interesting uh, fact if you would like it um that ties this to the the other star uh, franchise uh, Star Wars, um, which is that <laughs> Clive Clive Revel, who plays Guy of Gisborne in this uh, episode, he yeah. he was the original voice of Emperor Palpatine in Empire no Strikes way. Back, um, oh. uh, and then in, when it was remastered and re-released in the eighties, um, they uh, dubbed over the voice with a, a different actor, and it's been his voice ever since in the versions you can get since then. But I really like because um, I've got the. I don't know if they're the original video release, but they are pretty early video release of um, the original series of um, the original trilogy of yeah, Star Wars. Yeah, I've got a VHS and version of that, and it comes in like a cool little kind of bronze box. Yeah, mine's like a bluey color because. Um, uh, because uh, there's a very cute story about <laughs> how I got into Star Wars, but we don't have to. I've um, also um, found another, sorry, random fact about Clive Revel. This is really confusing me. So after being Guy of Gisborne in this episode of TNG, he's then also in Robin Hood Men in Tights, which came out two years later. So I'm like, was that a deliberate a- casting decision? <laughs> <laughs> Fuck, I've got to watch that film again. I love oh, Men in so Tights. Brilliant. It's just so it good. It is good. I've actually been saving it because I'm trying to get Alex to watch all of the like Robin Hood versions that I think that he needs to watch before we then like you know do the ultimate grand finale, which is to watch Men in Tights. So, so I, I'm, I have, I'm saving it for myself. You get him to watch this episode. Get him to watch the Robin Hood episode of Doctor Who with Peter Capaldi in it. Uh, <laughs> <Yes>. My spoon. <laughs> <laughs> so Peter Capaldi is just so wonderful. 
Yeah, but also I always I always found that episode's really weird though. I'm like, you're the fucking doctor. Why do you not believe in uh, like you know Sherlock Holmes is a lizard who eats people. <laughs> Why do you not believe in Robin Hood? That's a stupid decision you've made. Look, the best You've even been Merlin in the past. The reason, like, come on. The reason that that Doctor Who episode is like one of the greatest Doctor Who episodes of all time is because when the sheriff of Nottingham reveals his evil plan to use robots to like take over the world, he's like like, I will first take all of Nottingham and next <laughs> Darby <laughs> and then the world. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, Darby, followed by Leicestershire, Lancashire, <laughs> Worcestershire, Bedfordshire, <laughs> like five minutes later, then I might get to France. <laughs> but like, you know, as a, as a medieval king, as a medieval sheriff, his like, his goals were not that high. For yeah. him defeating Derby was like, you know, yeah, do you think there was like, the grandest, do you think yeah. his, his aides were like next to him being like, he's like, I'm going to try, I'm going to take over Nottingham and next Derby. And then his aides are like, why don't you, we, look, we just think that you should be, Maybe a little more adventurous, uh, like maybe set your sights slightly further than the Midlands. Like, you know, I just you know, love dip, dip, I love dip your the, toes uh... in Wales. Have a go at Wales. You know, they're probably easy uh, to get. Having no, don't attack Wales. Having played Crusader Kings, I I know what it's like to be one of those barons. You you do. I like Crusader Kings turns you into the worst version of yourself. Like. In order to take over Northumbria in a game of Crusader Kings, I've murdered a line of child of children. <laughs> just being like, die, die, die. Right, now I will succeed to that throne. Excellent. Oh, Good. God. And all I'm getting is a county of England for, for all of this yeah, child Yeah, shit murdering. county. Nah. <laughs> just like fun trivia for anyone listening who doesn't know, but the Sheriff of Nottingham is very much still alive and kicking it's like it is a title it is a not the a, same one from yeah but oh yeah no it's actually just alan rickman just <laughs> sat in nottingham castle in like in the middle of nottingham city council just in an office <laughs> no it's like my friend works for the sheriff of nottingham so like i do think that's quite amusing that's that cool still, you know i i always like like one thing one thing britain does quite well is keep random archaic offices it's like <laughs> It's like we have the mayor of London, the actual elected official, and then we have the Lord Mayor of London, <laughs> <We do. laughs> elected yeah. by the Alderman. Yeah, do you not know the Lord Mayor of London is different to the no, Mayor of London? No, I didn't know that. That's yeah, the, awesome. The, the Mayor so of the London City is Sidi Khan, and then the Lord yeah. Mayor of London is just some, some... bloke who wears a chain and a hat. Yeah, he's just a bloke in a hat who dicks yeah. about. And he's elected by a batshit system because <laughs> he's elected it is an election but corporations that work in the city of london get a vote as london. do all the medieval guilds of london oh my god he rides around in a gold carriage gold and wears carriage. like a, a red great coat that's incredible but he isn't paid he isn't paid and he has a tricorn all. that's he great i would yeah, to be paid. get a gold carriage he doesn't need to be paid because he's got a fuck ton of gold on him all the time he's like the most <laughs> bling guy in the world He's not as bling as the mayor yeah. of You have mayor to pay all your own expenses. You have to pay all your own expenses as well. Like it's what? not a good Yeah, effort. I imagine the upkeep yeah. on a gold carriage is quite a lot as well. Like imagine trying to get, and, imagine and trying to find somewhere that would the Lord Imagine trying to find somewhere that would MOT a gold carriage. It must it can't be easy. I don't Can think Can you imagine the tradesman sucking in his teeth at that going Gold, it's not easy, mate. Uh, not gonna lie to you. This kick, whole wheel's gonna the... have to come off. <laughs> Go, walking around, I'm kicking gonna have the... to replace this back wheel as well. Oh, that's about twenty-four carrots down the drain. <laughs> um, we should probably wrap up. Have you guys got any uh, submissions for Red Shirt's head cannon for this episode? Um, no. <laughs> Fine, that's it. All right, bye. <laughs> We, we've got our head our head cannon from earlier that they'd uh, spent too much money on uh, on fabric for the, the costumes in the second half. So that's yeah, I like that. Oh, that's I've got our first. One. I've got um... one that's kind of related to that. So okay. the reason why when the when the guy of Gisborne is like attacking Wharf and then the the guards are firing arrows that Picard's like quick everyone hide in the forest and then just like really slowly walk away from the arrows. It's because actually again they just. 
they've run out of money so badly that those arrows were just like little toothpicks. Yeah. <laughs> they were like throwing well, at they, them. They could only afford two arrows. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> shot yeah. Them and this all, so exactly, they could only afford two arrows. So when Picard's like, quick, hide in the forest, they move so slowly because he knows that they can't fire anything else <laughs> after them because they've run out of arrows. And Worf's sword is actually just like a massive rolled up piece like a rolled up newspaper with silver foil around it you know how you make like a sword for a children's birthday party that's my head cannon all the props okay. made like that i'm happy with that um and i mean the the key question that we always ask which character in this episode has tried to suck their own dick um i mean i'm gonna say it can't be q because i reckon because q's omnipotent he can suck his own dick so if he wanted mm-hmm. to he could just change the way yeah. that physics worked so i don't think it's fair to say that he, that he's the one who would have tried surely to surely he dick. can also just appear as a species no, I know that who sucks their own dick I, as well i know who it is in this who who is Sorry. it it is all the members of the archaeology council, because they seem like the most up themselves people in the few interactions we have. It's like, members of the archaeology council, I want to uh, tell you my own story. Anyone enthralled by that speech is definitely trying. Yeah, I'm happy with that. I've got another headcanon as well, which is at the end when Vash and and Q go off on their little tomb robbing adventure together. I think Q was actually fucking with Vash and he was just going to dump them both into Jumanji because that's exactly how they're dressed. I would love that if that happened. (laughs) Like, right. Well, I think that's the end of this episode then. Um, What what are we going to look at next week? Uh, Should we... uh, We could maybe do some lower decks next week. Yeah, let's do that. Do we want to watch... Like a couple of episodes sure. of Lodex, yeah. aren't they shorter? Yeah, they are well, short, aren't they? Okay, well, listeners, next week we will have our first... Uh, uh, we'll dip our toes into the water of Lower Decks and we'll watch the first few episodes of Lower Decks and, uh, and talk about that next week. Um, as ever, you can get in touch with us if you've got an episode that you would like to suggest uh, or anything else that you want to talk about. Then you can contact us on Instagram and Twitter at RedShirtsCast or send us an email, redshirtscast at gmail.com. Uh, otherwise... All that's left to say is thank you for listening. See you next week. Goodbye and live long and prosper. I am not a merry man.